1: Clients of ARK Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Welcome to the Bitcoin Brainstorm. Alongside my co-host, Yacine Mandra, analyst at ARK Invest, I'm your host, Rod Rudy, co-founder of Bitcoin Park, a community-supported campus here in Nashville, Tennessee, focused on grassroots Bitcoin adoption and a home for Bitcoiners to work, learn, collaborate, and build. We are now on episode number five, and if this is your first time tuning in, here's our idea. Thanks again to the support from Kathy Yassine, and the Arc team. We are taking our monthly Bitcoin topic-based approach at Bitcoin Park and applying it to this new monthly podcast series we are calling Bitcoin Brainstorm. Each month, we plan to have a different topic and invite amazing people from a variety of areas within the Bitcoin community. Our aim is simple, drive conversation around Bitcoin. And after going deep into Bitcoin with the first four episodes, building and scaling, AI and Bitcoin, some of the misconceptions associated with Bitcoin and using Bitcoin, we are now here today with a very important topic, one that is near and dear to us all, funding and supporting Bitcoin and open source development. So we have approximately 60 minutes and we'll be covering a lot of ground. Let's do some quick introductions uh, for everyone and then jump right in. Uh, Let's first start with Lisa also known as Nifty Nay Online. Welcome, Lisa.
0: Hey, Rad, thanks for having me on this week. It's a real, um, really excited to be here. Um, yeah, I'm Lisa, I've been working in Bitcoin for a little over five years now. Um, started on an open source dev kind of over in the Lightning side of the ecosystem. These days, um, I still do open source contributions, but I also run a conference series for Bitcoin developers called Bitcoin++, and I do um, technical engineering focused classes on Bitcoin protocols at a project called Base58.
2: Wow, welcome. That's exciting. I can't wait for you to be back in Nashville. Next, a key contributor to the Bitcoin DevKit project, Steve Myers.
3: Yep. Hi, I'm Steve Myers, and I'm a uh, open source contributor. I got started about two, three years ago um, as an early contributor on the Bitcoin DevKit, which is a Software library written in Rust, the Rust language, that provides all of the all of the all the pieces you need to build a Bitcoin on-chain wallet, um, and it also supports language binding. So if you're building a mobile wallet in Kotlin or Swift, we support that also. Um, and then from uh, you know, so I, when I got started in that, uh, we were funded from various sources: Brink, Spiral, um, Bitfinex, and other places, and as a you know, sort of a a way to keep the project. Um, you know, to you know, the, the idea with having a library like BDK is that you don't want to reinvent. You don't want every project to reinvent the core, you know, software you need to make a Bitcoin wallet. So it has to be open source. It has to be, um, you know, standards compliant. It has to, you know, provide all the basic features. Um, so that's what the Bitcoin Dev Kit does. But you also want that to be a sustainable project. You want it to be something that. You know, a project that's going to be building on it knows is going to be around in five or 10 years and has a, you know, active and robust development community supporting it. So this year, as Rod mentioned, uh, or maybe didn't mention yet, we started the Bitcoin DevKit Foundation, which is a, a nonprofit organization set up to collect donations, help support our developers, help build the community, um, recruit, um, document, all those things you need to make a sustainable open source project. So. Um, yeah, so excited uh, Excited for this conversation.
2: Man, so exciting. It's a pleasure to have you, Steve. And you did mention Brink, which uh, is a great segue to Mr. Mike Schmidt.
4: Hey, all. Mike Schmidt, I'm executive director at an organization named Brink. Brink is a non-for-profit charity with 501c3 status in the United States. And we've been around three years now. Hard to believe it's already been three years. And our mission is to support Bitcoin development and The main way we do that is through our grants program. So currently, we're funding eight developers. Most of those are full-time working on Bitcoin open source. And these are the developers that are working on building Bitcoin, the software itself. So not building something on top of Bitcoin, which is great, but actually the, the Bitcoin core software that runs much of the Bitcoin network itself. And in addition to some... Our grants program, we also have some educational initiatives that we try to help educate the community on a variety of topics, mostly on the tech side of things. We help run Bitcoin Optech, which is a weekly newsletter. We have a weekly podcast as well. We've done in-person workshops with Bitcoin businesses to keep connectivity between the developers and Bitcoin businesses open. Some of our grantees also run something called Bitcoin Core PR Review Club, which is a periodic meeting of developers, perhaps more on the junior side of things that want to see how would a more senior person look at this particular proposed change to the code base. And our grantees facilitate those meetings monthly. And we also have some grantees that um, are mentors. So through Summer of Bitcoin program and also through the Kala program. And then I spend some of my time when I'm not doing those things, also organizing some of the in-person Bitcoin developer meetups that happen a couple times a year. And as a charity, our sole source of funding is support from the community, whether that's a business or an individual. So this is a topic that's obviously very near and dear to, to my heart. So thank you for having me on.
2: Absolutely. And I got to take a, a quick tangent here because you mentioned Summer of Bitcoin. Steve Myers, can you tell a quick story about our student here at Vanderbilt that uh, learned about Bitcoin, and then applied to the summer of Bitcoin program
3: yeah, sure, so um you know one of the things various folks on the b d k project do are you know we participate in the summer Bitcoin project, and uh this last summer we we have a bit devs we do in Nashville at Bitcoin Park, and one of the folks who came from the the Nashville community that one of the Nashville students stopped by and told him about summer of Bitcoin said he should apply, so he applied, and he did a really great project with. Uh, built on top of Bitcoin, uh, I guess like sort of an example with Bitcoin Dev Kit and um, PayJoin um, to add that kind of PayJoin functionality and show how that could be done with BDK. So, yeah, just a, a student who I think, uh, you know, probably didn't know a lot about Bitcoin going in, but was very interested in the privacy aspects of it. So we gave him that. and Yeah, he did a great job.
2: And you had to apply. You had to, it wasn't like you just got accepted. I don't know how many thousands of people have applied to this uh, program.
3: Yeah, they get a lot of applications. And um, yeah, unfortunately, we don't actually get as many American applicants. But so it's great to see a student, you know, a local student that's, you know, got the skills and wants to apply and and spend their summer doing that. So it's a great experience for him, I think.
2: (laughs) And thanks again, Mike. And let's go over to the gentleman who was kind enough to co-organize and lead Nosterville, uh, hosted here at Bitcoin Park just a couple of weeks ago, a core contributor to the BTC Pay server project rockstar dev
5: yeah hey everyone what can i do when i love people so much so when they ask me to participate in co-organizing conferences i, I just can't say no and uh not only you rod but then nostrica nostrasia this uh World uh, conferences that jack dorsey supports yeah, i'm also organizer of that but uh, beyond just helping organize conferences, yeah, I'm a cypherpunk, I'm a bitcoiner, false advocate. Uh, most of my reputation in the space comes from the fact that I was a first contributor on BTC Pay server back in 2017. joined Nicolas Doria when he declared that he will obsolete BitPay after they raised the uh, million from Bitmain and others. Um, Yeah, I have propensity for crazy missions. See? Uh, So, yeah, two years later, then I joined uh, Strike with Jack Mallers, uh, coded the whole back end there, built the engineering team, spent over four years as a VP of engineering at Strike. And these days, I'm mostly... uh, Back and FOSS, organizing conferences, advising some companies, some VC funds, and yeah, doing everything I can do to help usher hyper-Bitcoinization faster. So yeah,
2: that's me. Well, my friend, we appreciate you being here and we're excited for you to join this uh, brainstorm. Uh, And one of the many unsung heroes in the Bitcoin space, um, and has become a friend of mine, uh, Connor
6: Okus with Spiral. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So, yeah, my name's Connor. Um, I'm a product manager at Spiral. Spiral is an initiative within Block, and we aim to support free and open source Bitcoin developers, designers and PMs and just the wider Bitcoin ecosystem in general. Um, we do it in a number of different ways. One of them is our grant program. So our grant program has been running for about four years now, and we've given out over 60 grants to Builders in the space, Um, we're currently supporting maybe three dozen, maybe a bit more developers, designers, some PMs, Um, and they're all geographically dispersed as well across 20 plus different countries as well. So we're really proud of that footprint. We also have a full-time team of engineers who are working on a lightning implementation called LDK, which is um, a lightning implementation package as a SDK designed to help developers implement lightning into the applications in a in many different environments in as simple way as possible. Um, we also have a, a creative edge to us as well. So we do um, things such as uh, Here here Comes Bitcoin, which was a initiative to help uh, beginners understand uh, what Bitcoin's all about, but in a fun and playful way. Um, we've done a documentary for LDK and SDK as well to To shed some light on that uh we love puppets we're big fans of puppets so if you follow our work you'll see a lot of uh puppet imagery around so um yeah it's really fun to to work at spiral really fun to be part of the bitcoin ecosystem and uh thank you for having me i love how understated
2: all of you guys are like the accomplishments are so freaking amazing Um, and i love the puppet video michael just as like a, a a reminder we need to include this in the show notes um, a number of links from uh, what Connor um, and the team uh, created. Um, thanks again for being here, Connor. Uh, and always, Kathy Wood, founder, CEO, and CIO at ARK Invest. Welcome, Kathy.
7: Thank you, Rod. Thank you for inviting me once again.
2: Absolutely. So I think maybe I can ask you a question uh, just to tee up the conversation and then get it to the broader group, Kathy, um, and seen if you want to jump in as well. Um, and I think it's a simple one. Uh, can you share a little bit about why Arc Invest is interested in Bitcoin and open source development, and how does this align with your overall strategy and philosophy?
7: Okay, well, I watched as I was uh, growing up in the investment business, I watched open source evolve as a thing and in our world, in the traditional financial world at the time, it was very difficult for people to understand what the heck is this. Because, of course, all of our companies uh, are earning profits, and that's you know our projections are all around profitability, and they just couldn't even fathom. And uh, when I decided that I needed to get out of that world, and uh, and and it wasn't for that reason, but uh there was groupthink there was you know everyone doing things the same way benchmark sensitivity letting letting others determine with benchmarks, what would go into a portfolio? I said, hmm, I, I am out and uh, need to start a company that will be much more open to ideas from the rest of the world. And a company focused only on disruptive innovation, which which, uh, because of the tech and telecom bust, and even more so after 08, 09, nobody really wanted to go there anymore. Um, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but not too much of an exaggeration. And I decided uh, that, uh, inspired by the open source movement, uh, watching what had happened with the Linux Foundation, how that was, you know, that, that what really led to the boom in data, data centers that, that we have now, which has enabled AI and all of that. I said, wh- how could we adopt that to ARC? To, to... And so we open sourced our research ecosystem which again, in, in the rest of the world, people thought was nuts. Like, why are you giving your secret sauce away, your research? Um, that might have been a, a good question in, when I started in the business, late 70s, early 80s, when information was very difficult to get, very expensive to get. And uh, you know, the secret sauce was, okay, wh- how can we gather this information? Now information is prolific and uh, the question is, how do you pull it all together? Um, so we give our research away and we get so much more back from that. We get information, not inside information. We get information from you know, developers, people out there innovating. They want us to be successful. We're sizing markets and helping them. They're helping us battle test our assumptions. So the give and take is phenomenal. So much better than I ever dreamed. So I've seen open source work. I mentioned Linux and all of the other open source strategies. And uh, Bitcoin was very natural, therefore, for, for me and us, as we were looking at this new technology, this new monetary system. Uh, it was it was a natural. It was a beautiful thing. And we embraced it very early, g- gave our clients uh, their first exposure to Bitcoin in 2015. Um, Fast forward to today, and uh, it is interesting. We're doing Bitcoin Brainstorm this week when there's been all this drama around open AI. And we've been focused on AI, open source versus closed ecosystems, and we're measuring the progress of each. Um, we're, we're putting out some great charts in our Big Ideas 2024. And what we're noticing in this World of generative AI and large language models, the closed ecosystem is moving forward very rapidly, but the open source ecosystem is moving ahead even more rapidly. Now, open source in terms of performance in generative AI large language models is behind uh, GPT-4, but uh, its rate of improvement is um, faster than the closed ecosystem. So watching the drama around open AI, and love to open this up and hear what everybody thinks, just what reinforced my conviction is how can we let this centralized group of individuals with these egos that clearly almost blew this thing up and maybe in many ways has blown it up, how can we let that group. And now they're all back together, maybe, you know, it's like so unstable. And uh, as, as Yassin mentioned in the early days, when I tried to explain to people why I loved open source, I said, look, it's like a giant neighborhood watch. You know, why are people are, everyone's watching it. It might involve their livelihoods. It might involve their reputations. Um, but they all have this common interest. And the decentralization is a beautiful thing. You don't get into you, you get some skirmishes, but nothing like we just saw at OpenAI. So I'd I'd love to actually, since that ha- has just happened, just get everybody else's point of view on what what they think is going to happen now in the AI realm. And then maybe, of course, we'll go directly into the
2: yeah, and I think that's a great cultural question, right? Open versus closed. It's so like we could talk on definitely on the AI front and we can definitely jam on that. But I, I think you nailed it with it's kind of core. Why work in, I mean, there's an incentive to work in closed source privatization to profits and and so on, which I'm not knocking. It's just that's a different course. But in this technological innovation area, especially on the disruption side, I'm, I'm curious and maybe just to... Um, modify the open question and then I'd like to pass it to Steve first and then give it to everyone else like why work in open source out of all the things to be working on
3: I mean I can start so I most of my career has been in closed source I worked in enterprise software financial software some telecom and um, and then when I made the switch a few years ago to work hundred percent in open source the the level of the the review and the quality and yeah, like everybody's reputation is out there, like you said, in public, like everybody, you know, is reviewing everybody else's code, there's huge incentives to improve the quality and not to rush the like not to rush stuff out. Sometimes think people complain that maybe things move slower in open source, but in reality, they're moving much faster in terms of actual delivered high quality software and core really sets the bar for this. But all the open source projects I've seen in Bitcoin and around Bitcoin. Uh, are just, you know, phenomenally talented people working on this in the open, sharing all of their conversations. And, and you don't get that on a closed source project. Like, at least from my experience in closed source, oftentimes it'll be, well, uh, you know, we have some marketing deadline coming up or we have some some very big customer that needs something. And sometimes things get pushed out a little sooner than they should. I've never seen that happen in, in open source. It, it couldn't happen in open source. You know, it's the, it's the contributors who drive the schedule and you know, really take pride in that that quality of the of the product. So yeah, it's a very different thing. And and just you know, also on the security point of view, you know, we're talking about you know, with Bitcoin specifically and Lightning, you know, this is software that you know has a lot of money riding on it. So you know, what what Mike's group is, you know, what Mike's grant grantees and stuff are doing is, you know, it's it's protecting billions of dollars in financial assets. So um, any anything Bitcoin related you know, needs to have that review just to be trusted to use it on a program. You know, use it if you're going to, like, build a company around something, you want to be able to audit it yourself, and you can't do that with closed source. And I, I remember the days when TCP IP software used to be closed source, and you had to pay for it. And then Linux came around, and it was all open source. Everybody could audit it. Everybody could improve it. And, you know, that's when the internet took off, I, I think.
5: so. I would jump in there to say that certain technologies are impossible without open source. And I certainly think like Bitcoin would be impossible if it wasn't open source, because like who would use that as uh, as as money? Um, as for AI, uh, as everyone else, yeah, I'm enjoying drama on Twitter or X or whatever it's called nowadays. And uh, I, I watched... Yeah, a lot of Ilya's videos, and he has that interesting perspective in a sense that closed source AI will always be ahead of open source AI. And I I kind of agree with that stance uh, because when it comes to uh, closed source, uh, what open AI is like That's not open company. That's not yeah, nonprofit. It's literally a company where you have collected all these best AI researchers and they're working on closed source product and then results of their work are slowly trickling out. I do think that open AI is going to catch up, but as long as you have so much money and resources and talent being concentrated in single location you're you're going to see like what is the difference and advantage be, between like closed sourced AI and open source AI and really as, as us cypherpunks say like information wants to be free and that's how I see the whole drama in open AI is like they just have too much power concentrated in there, and everyone is probably like ego is is starting to get in the way where everyone thinks that their decision is you know deciding the fate of the world and this is where open source really comes as a salvation in a sense like okay you know open source parts of your stack you're comfortable with your um you know can be improved by others and then the rest of you know the world, the rest of the developers, the rest of the community can join in and help you know develop because yeah open source to me it is about technology, but it's also about people like I look at everyone on this call, and to me, the biggest thing that open source has done to me is like developed me as a human and connected me with other great humans that are working on you know lisa for example. The the what she does in educating you know new developers and getting them interested in Bitcoin is amazing and you know I'm also Lisa tweet enjoyer right Lisa so yeah that's the best part of open source when it comes to me
8: yeah Rockstar you 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 mentioned something that that got me thinking in terms of the the profundity of open source it seems like the more important the application the more important it is for it to be open source. Where I think about something like Bitcoin, it's like Bitcoin could have never possibly thrived in the way that it has if it, let's say, just started closed source or was closed source by default. Uh, and so one, I think it points to just like how profound Bitcoin is as trying to be this new money in which open source needs to be the default. But now we're starting to see with other applications that are perhaps you know as profound or are increasing in profundity that there is this question of should we have started, you know, closed source versus open source or now that we have all this power and now that the implications are as profound as we realize it to be, you know, the egos are starting to get in the way. Uh, And so I I think that that's like a really interesting dynamic that we don't really appreciate because of how Bitcoin evolved in this sort of grassroots organic movement. It wasn't like we are going to fund an open source initiative, one hundred million dollars And then we're going to have, let's say, a fallout between an Elon Musk and a Sam Altman. And then Sam is going to think about, oh, should we do for profit and should we start charging $20 a month? And then the board is going to get fired. These are all things that are obvious in hindsight. But it it, it points to like the, again, I think it points to really how irreplicable something like Bitcoin is. And thankfully, you know, Bitcoin is solving what I think to be the most profound application, which is, you know, uh, an independent money. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I, that's, that's that's a an interesting dynamic that I, I don't think we could have necessarily f- foreshadowed.
5: And then, then you also start thinking about what Satoshi did, in a sense, walking away from that much, essentially, value and money. But, yeah, I don't want to hog the mic. I want to hear others on this topic because I think, yeah.
7: Can I just ask one question, uh, then, Rockstar, is... I understand why um, the closed ecosystem is working right now in this realm in in uh, generative AI. Uh, open source is moving faster. The reason they say they went for profit, at least capped for profit, was GPUs and costs like that. Um, what's what's the analogy here? First of all. Do you do you you when you say you think closed in that realm is probably going to win? I'm I'm not so sure of that. Maybe I'm just too biased here in terms of how important that movement is too, and how important it is not to let a centralized few dominate, you know, that project.
5: I mean, I'm very glad that you're biased towards open source way, <laughs> because that's that's definitely how I see that future will be better because if we do end up with closed source AIs that few control, like those people, entities, they're going to dominate everyone else. And um, really, w- w- when I look at the paradox of open source, I think most of it and why it's advancing so fast, as you say, is the cross-pollination. It's like when you are part of open source system, you get to work with really anyone. And this is where a lot of people on this call, like we collaborate in different ways on different topics. And that's what makes each one of us better and like develops us. So that's where I do see as open source ai catches up with chat gpt like there um you know there will be potential to overtake but as long as you have these closed entities where you can collect the best ai researchers in the world and they you know coalesce into this small group through which they work tightly together there will be some small advantage and it's not that I want that to win. That's just where I agree with Ilya as one of the leading AI researcher. It's all about uh that cross pollination because that's that's why Linux won. It, it's just anyone could have contributed and then people started like combining ideas and it closed source doesn't matter in that sense because by the time you you know you want to do anything, like it's all already too late information and that cross-pollination collaboration between researchers got Linux so far ahead that now like Windows will like never catch up.
3: There used to be a day when nobody thought you could compete with IBM, Sun Microsystems, uh, Microsoft, you know, the big mainframe, you know, enterprise server platforms. And then it all became Linux. You know, how did Linux catch up? It was this open ecosystem. They just, you know, just kept grinding and just kept improving and just every good idea that was out there in the close source world they just re-implemented it and did it better and um cheaper and faster in the long run you know getting it delivered so yeah I, I don't know much about ai but i do know open source that's how it does it you know like it it takes passionate people they they whatever they want they just build it and yeah it might take a little longer at front initially, but once that base is there and that framework is there, I think things move pretty fast. So maybe that'll happen in AI, but it's definitely happening in Bitcoin.
4: There's a trust factor here as well, right? Like one of the reasons that a money like Bitcoin, a digital asset that's built on top of code, needs to have the code available is because you can then have a higher degree of trust with it. Um, For example, if it was launched, launched as a decentralized but closed source project people may think that hey this is very this is very cool but at some point there would be an issue with trust because you don't exactly know what's going on behind the scenes and there may be i'm a ai newbie so i can't opine to it but there may be similarities there where sort of these iterations of ai have come out that are doing cool things but at some point trust is going to matter and it Am I getting the right results, if you will? Am I getting an unbiased answer? And that trust may come into play in a closed source AI system.
8: I think that's a great point, Mike. I think that's ultimately the way to reconcile both points of view is that close. We like to, in the Bitcoin world, talk about time preference, right? Closed source is a very high time preference approach, whereas open source is a very low time preference. In the short term, the ability to, let's say, bootstrap to efficiently allocate resources to let's say support something like GPUs, closed source could win out, right? Because it's like you you're, you basically are able to to um, to marshal the the financial resources to do that. But in the long term, ultimately you have a a, a breaking point where it, it works until it doesn't, and then when it doesn't, everything either completely collapses or there's just a the massive monopoly where it becomes completely unusable. And so I think that kind of Kathy to your point is that I think. The long-term sustainability of open source feels much more realistic than the long-term sustainability of closed source, even if at the onset, like a closed source will will might might win out. Um, so, and I, see, I I think that I see that with with kind of the crypto or Bitcoin world as well, where it's like everyone thinks Bitcoin is moving at a at a slower pace of innovation and that there's not much development. Uh, and yet it's able to be as resilient as it has been uh, for this exact reason is because it is uncompromisingly open source. Uh, and and so we're, we're starting to see the fruits of that only after the fact. Actually, I want to bring up a little topic you mentioned,
3: uh, long-term sustainability. And I think that's kind of one of the topics we have today and really applies to Bitcoin Core and any Bitcoin open source project that how do you make it? It's a very, it's still a very new project. We're like at 15 years old. How do you make it long-term sustainable? You know, how do you, and, and it's a bit different than say something like Linux, where you can have all these, you can have all these, um, you know, enterprises supporting it and customizing it for their needs, but you don't want to centralize the funding and control of something like Bitcoin. Like that, that would be something that maybe in bit, maybe in Linux, they can get away with some sort of centralization, but not in you know, not in Bitcoin. So I don't know like what you guys think about how do you make that long-term sustainable, long-term funded, but not centrally controlled in a like foundation model.
4: I have some thoughts on it because <laughs> I, I, I'm sort of, of of two minds. The, the so-
8: Mike, I, as you share your thoughts, if you could just set up for the audience, like how Bitcoin has a really unique funding model that relies on community support and And just the kind of importance of of recognizing that uh, across you know the stakeholders, I think is really. I'll give
4: a quick whirlwind tour of my perspective of of how open source and Bitcoin has evolved. You know, obviously Satoshi. there's, There's sort of these these two pieces. There's someone is is donating their time in working on this, or someone is donating money so that someone can spend time working on this. And at the very beginning of the project, you had Satoshi donating his time to work on this project. And even through, I think, 2012, you know, it was purely volunteers working on this donating in the form of their time until they had the Bitcoin Foundation come. And I think Gavin Andreessen was the first person who actually got paid money to work full time on Bitcoin in 2012. And ever since then, it's been sort of a a slow climb of, uh, less people putting their time in as a donation and more people donating money so that people can get paid to work on the project. So we've sort of seen that, that slider go from a hundred percent time donation to somewhere in the middle now where some people are donating their time and some people are donating money. Um, and to the topic of, um, being able to do funding in a sustainable way. Yeah, as the executive director of Brink, I would love to have a pile of Satoshi's coins and we just work off of them, that would be great. But the fact is, and we've just talked about this with the centralization of you know, open AI and things like that, that things can go wrong and centralization is bad. So I think what I'm interested in is a funding model Obviously, I, ideally, you'd have something like a million people giving in a couple of dollars a year kind of thing um, that is just probably not going to happen as much as we'd like it to. But the more that we can spread out the funding over different organizations and individuals, the better. And the more that we can make that be done in a sustainable, uh, recurring way, the better, because at the end of the day we want recur- We want sustainable funding so that we can have sustainable development talent working on the project um, and they can dedicate their time and decide, well, this is going to be around for more than a year. So maybe I do want to leave my Amazon job or my Google job and, and do this. Um, so you want to have the sustainable funding match the sustainable development behind the scenes.
8: That's a great setup. I mean, I think my view on this is ultimately stakeholders in whatever form they come with Bitcoin, whether you're a holder, whether you're an investor, whether you're building on top of it, um, almost have a duty to figure out a way to sustain that model. And I think, Connor, you're almost perf- the perfect person to talk about this, because in many ways, that's exactly what Block realized with Spiral. Um, can you talk a little bit about that that dynamic and you know how that, that's being applied?
6: Yeah, I mean... I think there's many large companies that use open source software in in many different ways and some are eager to um, contribute back to that ecosystem more than others. Um, I think it's no secret that, you know, Jack Dorsey is a bigger proponent of of Bitcoin and when Spiral was started three, four years ago now, um, the question was asked, what can Block do Square at the time? What can be done to, you know, contribute and give back to the community. And one of the ways to do that is to pay people to make Bitcoin free open source software better. And so for us, um, we're predominantly focused on Bitcoin Core, which is like, you know, the catalyst for this Bitcoin movement that we see. But Bitcoin at this point is very much a large ecosystem of many different projects. So you have Bitcoin Core itself, then you have stuff, like Steve works on like BDK and software development kits. And now you've got layer two stuff with Lightning and you've got different types of infrastructure projects, different research projects. Um, we haven't even have design focused efforts as well with um, the Bitcoin design community, which maybe we can talk to a little bit later. But I think Blocks model's is interesting in that for a very small percentage of your research budget, you can have a very strong impact on open source but also have that aligned with many of your business goals. So Block's main objective is financial empowerment and what better technology to align yourself with in-house to be kind of at the forefront of that technology and innovation. And um, we don't, as our team, have any specific business motive, but much of what we produce has been used by Block or teams within Block, Cash App specifically. And they've been able to arrive at decisions to use the software that we're creating and the software we contribute to independently, which is also important. Um, So that is one model, like where you have a large organization who commit a small percentage of their research budget to contributing back to, to Bitcoin specifically. Um, but I think the longer term trend is that we want to see more spirals, we want to see more brinks, we want to see more foundations being developed and uh, we want projects and individuals to be multi, multi-entity multi funded so no one project is reliant on any single um, organisation and I think we're in a time where the trajectory is definitely up and to the right with regards to funding um, for Bitcoin. If anything, our issue or problem is allocating those funds efficiently. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'd say the more, the more the merrier, really.
2: Totally. And Connor, you reminded me of the uh, a framework for sustainable open source Bitcoin development that you wrote um, maybe even a year or two ago, uh, which is spot on. We, we should definitely uh, include in the show notes. Um, I'm going to ask Lisa a quick question, but R- BitKey... Which, by the way, Spiral is separate of Block and Square, and it's a separate entity funded on its own. It has no bearing on any of, like, you know, Square. Um, But BitKey is a wallet that uh, the Square group is developing, correct? Raise your hand uh, if your project is the foundation layer of the BitKey wallet.
3: Well, PDK, yeah, they chose PDK Well, yeah, actually, Mike should raise his hand too because it's it's built on Bitcoin, Bitcoin on chain, and um, the actual mobile library and server-based library they're using uses BDK, and of course BDK talks to Core, and they're building something completely innovative in terms of a a mobile multi-sig shared custody, not not really shared custody, so it's a self custody model with a backup key. You know, one, one of the three backup keys held by the provider, but in this case, um, the big key team. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's,
8: it's another one of those examples, too, where... I was fortunate enough to be part of the beta. Ah, I, very nice. Right here. And uh, I, I, I went through the entire process flow, and it, it's remarkable how well it works. And the whole idea of collaborative custody and multisig at the retail level... Is going to be incredible. So this right here is actually your your fingerprint. Um, so you that, that's the way to authenticate the the first, and then you have your phone, and then Block holds the third of three. It's a game changer, I think.
3: And and this is where yeah, like the the, the research that Spiral has been funding, um, you know, is directly feeding into that product that they're going to be using. And as I understand it, I think this is you know f- one, you know with, you know they're open sourcing a lot of that project already. You know, like they're, I mean, not just the fact that they're using our library, but the hardware, there's like a bunch of blog posts about how they're developing the hardware, um, how they're doing the product design, all that sort of stuff. It's, it's quite amazing. Yeah, just how, how open source and it is, it's the, the kinds of stuff that, you know, if you were going to put money on a BitKey product and, you know, you, you at least, if you weren't able to audit your, audit it yourself, you might want to know that somebody else could audit it and make sure that it was doing what it says it's going to do. Um, for privacy reasons as, as well as just you know theft reasons.
4: There's an interesting uh, note here. I don't know if any of the tech is in there now, but Brink was funding a cryptographer and mathematician named Jesse, who was working on the Frost protocol. And he wrapped up his grant with us doing a lot of the open source research. And lo and behold... That research was appealing to industry and they hired him. Um, And so he went off to industry to continue to work that expertise that he built in the open source realm in-house. Even though I think a lot of the work that he was doing or is doing there um, was open source still, but there's a little connection with our discussion there.
3: Yeah, actually, I'd like to chime in directly on that point, too, which is uh, open source Bitcoin projects need money. But they also need talented, trained, knowledgeable developers. I would say that is a major limiting force um, that all projects mean. Core is a very complicated system. Every Bitcoin project, there's, it's not, there's not a huge cohort of people that know how to write safely and safely contribute to Bitcoin software. So like, I know this is one of Nifty's pet projects is training that, you know, tra- training existing developers to be, or, or even non-developers potentially, I guess to be Bitcoin developers and lightning developers. Maybe you can talk nifty about how that's going. Because <laughs> I know it's a hard problem for all open source projects, mine included. It's, you know, like finding the talent.
0: Yeah. So part of we're doing at base 58, I really see it is an opportunity for mostly existing devs. We don't have anything that really targets the new dev ecosystem. though it's definitely on the roadmap maybe someday. Yeah, we're really trying to like level up people that have skills in one area, which would be software engineering, um, across like a variety of different ecosystems, and want to really get a um, a start in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I think one of the things about open source, particularly in Bitcoin, might be safe be the same in other ecosystems, but you know, all the code that we're writing and all the different projects that we work on kind of are operating on something that I almost think of as like sort of a a layer above of knowledge that's like, well, maybe below the overlying protocol, right? So, you know, you work on BDK, but BDK is doing work, so to speak, on the Bitcoin protocols. So you can get new engineers into BDK that maybe are super Rust experts, etc. But if they don't have that domain-specific knowledge about how these protocols are working what is a Bitcoin transaction? How are signatures work? Um, what is broadcasting? How does the mempool function, et cetera? They're not going to be very useful. There's like an entire like knowledge gap, right? About how do these things work? Um, that's kind of where we're really looking to like fill in the gap, so to speak, or produce and provide content that is one, like technically accurate. So we aim to be one of the most accurate and up-to-date um projects or programs that you could come through. We also aim to have, you know, the most hands-on and like applicable stuff where you're 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 kind of the tools we're using, like the languages, the projects, is sort of abstracted away, and you're really just focusing on, okay, what are the parts that are moving? What can you touch? What should you look for? And those skills are the ones then that you're able to bring to any of the other open source projects and have a much better time and much greater success at getting onboarded and figuring out um, because you understand kind of like the bigger global objects that all of these like libraries etc are trying to operate on so that's kind of like one of the things that we're really focused on at base 58 um and i think i think you can really see with the people that go through our classes i I know steve you took a lightning class you were in our first ever lightning (laughs) class which things have changed a little bit since you're in there i think we're a little more um well we were pretty hands-on when you guys went through it but
3: yeah. And like, like, I was a good example. So I was more knowledgeable about the on-chain protocol stuff, but I didn't know layer two is like a whole nother set of protocols, a whole other set of software mechanisms that you have to understand that. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's, there's going to be a little specialization and people are going to need specialized training. Like you need specialized training to work on core. Like that's why they have, you know, Bitcoin, you know, they have the PR review clubs and things like that to like learn how to even review. So you know, beyond the protocol stuff Nifty's teaching, also teaching people how to just even think about like getting into the software to where to look, where the bodies are buried.
5: One of my favorite moments in Bitcoin is when I asked Peter Woolley, like, what do you think about Lightning? He's like, I don't. (laughs) So you're like most prominent Bitcoin developer. He's like, no, Lightning, I don't think about it.
2: Well, I just want to tell a quick story. And then continue this brainstorm because, and not to shill Lisa, but at the, I think it was at the lightning summit and we were hosting, uh, the lightning summit. Lisa was here. And, uh, typically when, uh, the bar is called people run to the drinks and the socialization and so on. Lisa was leading one of these like workshops and I've never seen it at an event before. They literally, and you got to describe this Lisa, cause I'm going to butcher it. Cause I was not involved. They were all, like, and Lisa kind of touched on this, but she uses gameplay and actually brings Bitcoin to life in her uh, classes. So can you explain maybe for a couple minutes, like what, basically all like 40 people got up, moved over because we were setting up the bar uh, food station and they were all connected with rope uh, and had to just like do like a little trot over, which I'll never forget.
0: Yeah. So you're talking about, I always forget about this. So I forget we do, we do, we do do, I'm like, we only do dev education. That's not true. We have one project, which is like a classroom size, hands-on, meant for anyone, your friends, your family, your kids, et cetera. Project called the Bitcoin LARP. It stands for live action role play. We did it at the Lightning Summit. Um, We also did it again, in Nashville, when you guys had a global summit for community leaders. So that was, um, I think that was in September. Um, But it's, it's incredible. So you know, I'm, I think of myself, like, you know, longtime builder, engineer, developer, I kind of think of myself more as like, I do like engineering, but I also think of it as like content creating, right? Like coming up with new ways to explain things. So really trying to pioneer how do we explain in the most simple, effective way possible to people, what's going on with Bitcoin, Lightning, Taproot, etc. Like, you know, we, we really want to make it such that people can get in and get to be experts as fast and with as little frustration as possible on their side right so the larp really does this i think kind of like what we're trying to do with the larp bitcoin is complicated like it's not like any other system financial technical etc that most people have probably come into contact with before right so the larp is this idea that i had in this sort of realization that for a lot of people, difficult technical systems, you can explain them, you can talk about them, you can show them numbers on a screen and what like hexes look like, etc. But it's not really gonna land with people until you can get their hands on things. They're writing things on paper. They're passing physical objects around and seeing how all these parts fit together. You gotta like put people into like, into the environment where they can see all the parts. And then all of a sudden, they start having good questions. They start realizing what's happening. All the stuff that they've seen, maybe through a wallet they've used or what they've heard at talks from going to conferences, all these parts suddenly start falling into place because you give them this like physical built out map where they're they're actually participating in, um, in how it works, like in how Bitcoin works. So the LARP is like a two hour long in-person group game, usually about 20 to 40 people, you get them all at tables. It's a group effort, but it's kind of like this team thing where you put people into different groups. Each group becomes a Bitcoin node. We're in a decentralized network, so all of the nodes are kind of competing to find the next block and get it out to the other nodes. You have to send messages across network wires. So you see how that works. You get information from your peers. You can't trust it. You have to verify it before you do anything with it. It's like this very like um, as simple as possible it's still complicated. Not going to sugarcoat it. Um, yeah, sorry, Rod, I see you're really no, good. No, I'm
2: just going to speak on Kathy and seen's behalf. And this is going to be the next ARC offsite team event it is going to be Lisa leading a LARP event where we're going to get all the team members together, all, you know, tied up and learning. That'd be
0: fun. Yeah, it's super fun. It's like great for, um, you know, it's, it's really kind of built for conferences, for offsites, for classrooms, for meetups, like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's it's built for getting groups of people together, like touching Bitcoin, seeing it work, getting their hands dirty on building transactions, etc. And giving people like really accurate, you know, as close to the protocol as possible experience. So when you go out and you actually do Bitcoin other places, you can easily understand where in the bigger
7: picture what you're doing fits. So. Lisa, if I could, uh, in in St. Petersburg, Florida, Pinellas County, um, we have an innovation center for startups, and we would love to attract, you know, Bitcoin-oriented startups. And we have an education foundation uh, using our research, making it age-appropriate. I don't know how young you go, but this could be so important, this gamification way of learning to, you know, we're in the middle schools now, we'll get into the high schools. The earlier, the better, I would imagine. I mean, I haven't done it with
0: like a middle school group explicitly, but I bet they could do it. Like I have strong confidence If they can do simple basic math, they can punch numbers into a calculator, they can write things onto pieces of cards and set it around. I'm, I'm like, I'm sure they would have like super fun, et cetera. So I would love to talk more to you about that,
8: okay, Kathy. You should you should mention that it's part of the the school curriculum in Pinellas County, and, that, and that now, I mean, maybe having a Bitcoin, um, you know, Bitcoin component of that where it's more interactive. We, we should we should follow up after this for sure.
7: Yeah, we hired educators who could work with you to take Arc's research, make it age-appropriate. And the one thing we have not cracked here is Bitcoin yet, because it's pretty daunting to them, right? So it made it age-appropriate. These educators um, are having trouble, you know, getting their heads around. I think they'd love to be at one of those tables, too. But we've made it age-appropriate. And now it has become the science curriculum throughout the county in public schools. I love this. Wouldn't that be amazing?
0: It's Amazing. Yeah. And honestly, I think learning how Bitcoin works is so great for teaching people about decentralized protocols, right? So it's, you know, Bitcoin is the grand. This is one thing I like to say about why I teach Bitcoin exclusively as like a dev thing. You know, there's a lot of different crypto, interesting blockchain projects, but Bitcoin is the granddaddy of all of them. So if you really understand what Bitcoin's doing and decisions that they made around, why is it decentralized? Why are blocks every 10 minutes? How do transactions work? All of a sudden, you have this amazing new viewpoint that you can go to almost any other crypto project. And you can start understanding the design decisions that they made. Why do they have faster blocks? What like, you know, just like, you get like this really great kind of like foundational loop, like blueprint that lets you better understand decentralized protocols, which are super important in our modern era. How do like computer networks work? What is computer networking? Like what is crypto? How does that add to like Bitcoin? Why do we use these things? So anyways, yeah, I'm very excited that we could add that to STEM education and schools because I think it's going to really make the students in these classes such better just like Um, And I almost want to say like consumers of the modern age, right? Like they'll really hopefully better understand what's happening in the world that they see online around them, et cetera. And as soon as you have that understanding, you become so much more powerful in terms of figuring out what you can do to change it, how to contribute and give back. You know, what are the opportunities that you have in terms of building new things? Like what's missing? Um, Anyways, I'm like clearly super excited about this. For
7: middle schoolers and high schoolers, there's a cool factor here, right? Uh, a cool factor, which, you know, inspires them at an important point in their lives, right? We're like, this can be a fork in the road time in their lives. So, yeah.
2: So, Steve, we have a little, comp, and I, this is why I love competition. So St. Petersburg's a little bit ahead of ourselves with the resources and so on. Steve, we got a little work to do.
3: Yeah, we got to level up that there. I mean, it's 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 good to see, I mean, I I, I like that you know, that focus on the younger generations, because even though Bitcoin might be smallish now, it, as it grows, it's it's going to need more people. Like it's going to need more developers who understand the basics of the protocol. Not everyone's going to be a developer, but some people will be just to be a product manager or to be a product designer or to be just to get involved in the this, this whole new product category of software and businesses. You need people to understand at least the basics. You know, it's like understanding network. And there's a lot of you know, there's still people today that don't understand the internet, and that like cuts them out of a whole industry. <laughs> to just understand the basics is important.
5: Yeah, like as a developer, once you do understand TCP/IP, and like once you understand UDP as protocols, it's so much easier to develop. But to me, like really, it's great to be part of this group because this is true power of open source. Like when, when you do have educator like Lisa, and then, you know, you, you can work in some way with her or join one of her LARPs and just enjoy the program. When, you know, you have some someone as experienced as Steve as a really, you know, a pillar in local community for younger developers. When you have someone like Connor and Mike, like I, I know how we can solve funding problems for open source super easy. We just like clone Mike Schmidt, like in ter- ten organizations, like ten brings. We will be covered. I don't know, Mike. What what do you say, Mike?
4: It sounds like I would be busy. Well, uh, t- ten times, <laughs> ten times as busy. But,
2: but let me ask this then to the broader group, and that's like maybe a good way to wrap this up because we've been just jamming, and this has been so phenomenal. And as I always say, like we need a V two of this. Um, I get nervous because I think a lot of foundations and a lot of um, charities, I don't know where my money goes and I don't know what the output is, right? So I get nervous or, or paralyzed in terms of like supporting. With you guys, I can text you. I know exactly what's happening. The, the proof of work is there, like with Lisa, Mike, Connor, Rockstar, and Steve. Like, What is the best way to support um, you guys? Like an average person, an average club like me can help support you guys.
6: To turn the question slightly, I guess it's more about supporting the open source projects that um, are using are creating the software that maybe you're using is, is maybe an, another way to frame it um, i think yeah there's a number of different ways I think uh one thing we're a big proponent of is We tend to support projects like in a very early stage where like a developer just has an idea on how to improve Bitcoin security, privacy, scalability, design, and then we provide like the initial, let's say, seed round funding to get them up and running until they get to a point where they kind of establish some form of community. And that's where you might find yourself slowly entering the fray and trying to contribute what whether it be to the project, even if you're not a developer, it might just be advocacy of the project, it might be writing documentation, it might be raising awareness, it might be creating content until such a point where that that community has built up enough reputation in the wider ecosystem to now get to a place where it's vital for some business need, it's vital for some End user need, and they then feel compelled to contribute maybe financially to that project, and then you start seeing multiple entities now start to see the real value in the project, and then maybe a a project can crystallize that and uh, make donation receiving donations easier by creating a foundation like what you have done, Steve, with BDK or the Bitcoin design community have done with, with their design efforts and a Bitcoin design foundation because individuals, like you just said, Rod, individuals or even large institutions maybe don't have the capacity to do all the due diligence that maybe we have at a spiral or a block where we've got a, a big legal team, a big tax team. We are able to do very deep due diligence on individuals. Um, Now, once a a project's got to that stage where they have their own foundation, they've built up reputation, they're well-known in the space, they have this legal entity which makes it easier to receive donations now. Um, I think that sets a nice stage for sustainability over over the longer term. And yeah, the very nature of open source means that um, you can understand what's going on in the project, you know, if Steve hasn't committed made any commits in B D K for three years, we can we can see it, right? it's all in the open, right? Um I'm only missing Steve. But yeah, like um I think that's um that's an interesting way to think about it from both a a user of the technology and someone who's looking at it from a from a business perspective as well.
4: Rod I would, I would say to you or I guess anyone else listening that this is a voluntary movement. And in order to garner support, whether that's contributors to the project or designers or funders to contribute financially, I've found that awareness is key. Um, and, Making sure people are aware of these projects, aware that these things don't just code themselves, that there's opportunities there, and that there's a need there, and I, I find that you know this discussion itself, the the B word that that we put on Yasin and Kathy uh, a year or two ago, those those sorts of things uh, raise awareness, and the people who get it and take that awareness into initiative there's more of those than you think and if we can cast a wider awareness net i think you get the developers you get the you get the designers you get the the money as well
3: i'll throw out too not not maybe not necessarily for all the clubs but for the people that work in enterprises or the people that have their own businesses to you know just you know learn about bitcoin and Learn about the open source projects that are available out there and and not just as a potential technology, but as a potential like you may not have the people in house that can do it. But look to those open source projects. I would love to see a model where people come from industry into open source. Maybe they start as a volunteer. They might get a grant a part time, full time grant, and then they go back to industry. I would love to see this kind of circle of people coming in and out of open source, potentially working for a company. So maybe you have somebody in your company who's really interested in Bitcoin and open source you know, give them 20% time or 50% time, or give them some percentage of their time to go work on open source as an employee would be amazing. Or, you know, bring in training into your company to to, to grow the team's knowledge. But I'd love to see more businesses. And, you know, this may be for, you know, startup, startups, listen to this podcast. You know, if you're a startup, you know, don't go try to roll your own, like, learn about the other projects that are there. And there might be something out there, very likely something out there that you can you know, that, that there already exists that, you know, is open source and follows the best practices and standards um, that you can just incorporate in and it'll actually accelerate your project, whatever you're doing. So just invite people to do that.
5: Yeah, it's absolutely like that, because when you do look at uh, Spiral as an entity in Block, like the value that Block derives from Spiral as a research team as like even a marketing effort. Because when I spoke with Dorsey, he was very clear that he started Spiral as a way to offset that corporateness of block. It's an like interesting way how, how he was looking at that. But just as a research team, the value is, is incredible. And I always come back to maybe two things. Like number one, Bitcoin had this unique funding model For a lot of developers, is like if you were early on and you managed to acquire enough Bitcoin, like you literally could live off of that and contribute to the protocol. Unfortunately, like that's not possible now. See, Lisa is already getting upset with me, but this is where I would go. Like in a second thing, which is like fundraising. raising Raising funds is a skill, and it's it's a skill that's not really well distributed amongst developers. Like, it's very rare. And I what I love seeing, especially in the last few years, is development of this infrastructure so that uh, people that understand the value of freedom tech, and like in Bitcoin, they can donate to these entities. And not only like individual like me and Steve, we spoke about how BTC-based server has a foundation in Japan. Then Steve started 501c3 here in the U.S., but there are now entities like OpenSats, which can really be helpful for those projects that don't have anything and even can, you know, those projects can get to the point where they can communicate with the rest of us and we can give them a playbook, uh, you know, like how how do you do this? Because at the end of the day, uh, a lot of people are creating value and like we need to figure out a way how to raise awareness, as Steve was saying, like raise awareness and make sure that all the you know good things that are being developed in Bitcoin are not like profitable but they're sustainable, and that people keep being developed as we develop technology as well.
3: actually I want to add one more thing on that, which is that uh the a little money. Like money is important, and it's sometimes not for expected reasons. Like I was an enterprise developer when I got my first grant from Spiral. It wasn't so much the money; it was the uh, confidence they were putting in me to quit my day job. Like they were saying, "Yes, you can do this." You know, it's that it's that moral support. You know, even a part-time grant or or a bounty given to a developer working in industry might be enough to just say, "Hey, we, you know, you you can do this." And and then and then that starts their whole open source career. So I really think it a little goes a long way.
5: It changed my life. Steve. I
3: agree. Me too. You no, know, man, you're so yeah. right.
5: Because when Spiral gave that 100 k to BTC Pay server back in 2019, we were so happy. And we were like, it's that vote yeah. of confidence. It makes a, it makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I had three quick things that, you know, for people who are outside that want to give back or kind of like help move this space forward. Um, my 1st They're all gonna be like self-serving, so that's fine. But my first one is, um, I, uh, I think you should invest in yourself, um, in your knowledge of Bitcoin. Maybe that's by signing up to take a Base58 class. Um, we've got some online classes, we do in-person classes. Um, maybe that's signing up to take a dev course so you better understand what's going on with the tech stuff that Bitcoin is built on. Um, but I think investing in your own understanding is really good for the entire community and the network because it makes everyone who participates a more informed, like participant and like holder, stakeholder in this project that is like the Bitcoin open source network. Um, my second one is that if you want to donate to a team or a project, um, the open Sats um, is always. Um, happy, one, to accept donations to our general fund or to any of the listed projects. If you have a project and you want to apply for a grant out of our open fund or get your project listed on the website, you should check that out. And then the last one is the Bitcoin LARP that we've been talking about. We're currently doing a geyser fund campaign. It's kind of like a Kickstarter, but it's Bitcoin only. Um, what we're trying to do is build the first 50 copies of the LARP kit. So, up until now, there's only been one. It's been one that I spent maybe $1,000 building um, myself, trying to pull all the parts together. It took a lot of friends putting, shipping in to kind of make it happen, et cetera. We want to scale it. We want to get these out into more communities and meetups. So, we're trying to raise money to build 50 that we would then send to any community meetup, et cetera, that fills out an application. Um, so if you're a community and you want to try and get one of these first 50, um, look on the geyser fund, there's a a form you can fill out to get in line for one of the ones that we build. And then we would love some funds to kind of help meet our goal.
2: So just to continue on that, uh, with Lisa, um, I'm going to play the role of follow-up. I play no developer skills. And by the way, it's, it's a shame and maybe V2, Connor, we should talk about the Bitcoin design community because I will just give you guys a plug real quick. Um. We've been talking about developers, uh, Kathy, and you've seen so much in this brainstorm. But there's also so many other ways to contribute to Bitcoin. I will say, selfishly, it's like simply you can just host a meetup like we've been doing in Nashville, St. Pete's, the Tampa Bay uh, Bitcoin community is amazing. Um, Those folks come up to Nashville quite a bit. Uh, You could just host a meetup. But then if you're a designer and you're like, what can I do to contribute back to Bitcoin? There's a whole open-source design community. Um, Maybe, Connor, maybe just explain the Bitcoin design community and then I can wrap.
6: Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's no secret that the um, user experience in Bitcoin can oftentimes be quite rough. And we're trying to figure out ways to move in a direction where there are more seamless experiences. Um, We initially thought it makes sense to hire a single designer and have them solely focus on trying to tackle many of the UX challenges we see in Bitcoin. Um, but we opted to be the catalyst for a, for a whole community of designers who are focused on challenging, um, tackling some of these issues. Uh, one of the flagship projects that community works on is something called the Bitcoin Design Guide, which is a set of principles for product teams to build out really um, slick User experiences um, that are Bitcoin focused. Uh, you can find that at bitcoin.design. Design, um, but it's not just um, you know product and UX effort. It's also artistic endeavors as well. So there's a lot of artists in there who are contributing by way of art and culture and things of that nature. Um, so yeah, if you if you are a designer or, or, or a copywriter, for example, there is equally as important as well. Um, there there are kind of different ways you can contribute. And they've just made the leap by creating their own foundation as well. So um they're they're moving in a in a really good direction as well. So Bitcoin.design for anyone who's in that way inclined. Amazing.
2: Kathy, I'm gonna be following up because we got a lot of action items from this this is the power of these brainstorms. Like a lot of things just happen. I um, speak on behalf of Lisa. I'm going to help her follow up on this LARP idea, which I absolutely love. I just want to thank everybody for an amazing uh, Bitcoin brainstorm. Um, I'm inspired. I get inspired by all of y'all. And uh, we will link to each of your projects in the show notes. I don't know if Kathy had anything else that you'd like to, to mention.
7: Well, I, like you and like Yassine, we've talked about this. Um, I'm always so uh, inspired by what we do learn here. And, you know, I, I'd love to follow up with Rockstar and Illy at some point and and talk about this open source versus closed because uh, uh, Yassine mentioned about projects that are so important, like, uh, like uh, Bitcoin you know, a global monetary system. What about artificial general intelligence as a concept? And uh, do you want closed source or open source as we're moving in that direction?
5: Yep, absolutely. I have a lot of thoughts on that. As someone, again, like even Bitcoin and payments, I worked on open source with BTC Pay Server. With Strike, it was closed source. have a lot of thoughts, but really i can just echo what what all of you are saying for me it's amazing that we can come together like this collaborate through open source and then for for others you know people watching this just the fact that you rod are going to follow up with action items because there are a lot of people in the world that really want to support freedom tech they want to like even when it comes to their time their money their attention They want to help build a a world that's sustainable and better and improve the technology. And it really can
2: only be done through open source. So glad we had this talk. That's amazingly well said. And I think that's a great place to wrap. Thank you, everybody.
7: Thank you, Rod. Thank you, everyone.